Welcome to the sanctuary. You're listening to DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov, where we inspire, educate, and empower women of color to unapologetically transform into their most authentic and healthy selves by tapping into the goddess within. Hi, it's Wendy Cherry from the Sanctuary Podcast, coming from DC Radio 96.3 HD4 and dcradio.gov. And today we're here to talk about using food as medicine. And we have a special guest with us, Dr. Linda Thompson, who is an assistant professor at Howard University in the Department of Nutritional Sciences. She also received her Master's of Science and her PhD in Nutritional Sciences with an emphasis in community nutrition and is a licensed nutrition. And she did all that at Howard University. So for more than 25 years, she's been developing and implementing chronic prevention and management interventions for African-American populations. And currently, she's a principal investigator on a study looking at using food as medicine among low-income minority residents of the District of Columbia. She also practices mindfulness techniques using breathwork and yoga. So... As we know, the Sanctuary podcast is about wellness and it's about health and finding ways for us to um, get back to our most authentic and healthy selves, doing things that we have forgotten about. And nutrition, the food that we put into our mouths would seem like it's not really important, but food is one of the most important things that helps to fuel your body helps you to be strong and helps you actually also connect. So that's why we have uh, Dr. Thompson here today. And so what grabbed me, Dr. Thompson, welcome. Thank you. And thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Um, What really grabbed me when I looked at your bio is that you're using, um, you're doing a study looking at food as medicine in low income minority residents. And I kind of wanted to, one, hear what you um, do, what are you doing with that? Like, what does that look like? But I'd like to take a step back and kind of figure out how did you get into this field of nutrition? Well, I didn't start out that way. My undergrad degree was in social science. Okay, what do you do with that? So Mm -hmm. I ended up, I'm from Detroit, I ended up in D.C. and um, had started reading about um, all of the additives and hormones and and, uh, growth hormones and antibiotics that they put in chicken so and that sometimes they cut off the the tumorous parts of chicken and then sell the rest as chicken parts so I immediately stopped eating chicken I read some more about beef I started eating beef so that kind of started my journey on nutrition because I became a vegetarian um, took a cooking class and then started really to get more into holistic health using herbs and and things like that um meditation etc so i decided i was going to write this uh cookbook mm-hmm. and uh and talk about herbs as well but then i figured out i figured this is a really roundabout way to get into nutrition that i was well nobody's going to buy my book if i don't have a degree so <laughs> right. that's what prompted me to go uh, to get my ma- master's in nutrition, okay. and then a few years later, I was ad- I, I was an adjunct professor and uh, not at Howard at a um, another institution. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back get my PhD so that I can teach. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am today. Okay, sounds good. So. Talk to us about what your study looks like and how long it's been going and how you got into that. Well, actually, it's just getting started. Okay. Um, the um, Our participants that we're recruiting are um, 
patients at Howard U- University Hospital have a chronic disease, and what we, we want to look at is providing nutrition education, cooking classes, supermarket tours, to see if there is a shift um, in, in their d- disease status a- as a result of participating, plus we're going to um, connect with them for three months later through social media and texting to help keep them connected because oftentimes we we have these great interventions and studies and people do well and then after it's over they fall off so we want to keep connecting with them and 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 see if that approach works because we have to do something um because african americans are on the lower rung of of disease management and sometimes it's just a matter of access to affordable healthy foods which Mm -hmm. is a challenge which is something that our study will will address as well as stress is a huge factor in a person's ability to move on the information that they have uh, to be healthy Um, so we're excited about that that sounds that sounds super exciting and one of the things that I love in my private coaching practice I also do supermarket tours so that stuck out to me because I feel like there is so much information out there everybody's talking about health everybody's talking about nutrition but what does that really mean Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean going vegan for everybody right you know being vegan doesn't work for everybody um about five or six years ago, I called myself being vegan. So I took all the steps, you know, and then I actually felt like I was cool. You know, I would go to a restaurant and I'd say, well, I'm vegan, so I, whatever. So after about four months, I went to my holistic practitioner and she said, well, who told you to be vegan? You basically stripped yourself of certain important nutrients. And I was like, I'd never considered that. I thought because everybody said being vegan was healthy, that it would be good for me. But, but also, let me just say this. Mm-hmm. People decide to go vegan, but they, they're not informed. They don't know that they have to have a certain amount of protein, mm-hmm. a certain amount of fats and kinds of fats. So they think, oh, I'll just eat salads all the time yep. and I'll be fine because I'm not eating meat or dairy. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, you have to be even more informed if you decide to go vegan mm-hmm. and, and understand what your body needs and how to get it from plant-based sources. Right. And so I want to take a step back even further on um, an individual making a choice. So we're thinking about a person making a choice to be to go and follow a certain path of diet. Um, It's called bio individuality. And it really is based on and this might sound a little woo, woo, but it's really based on how your how your mother was feeling when she was pregnant with you, what was her environment, if she was happy, if she was eating well, if she was a smoker, it really just depends on that. So now you think about you sitting in a womb of a woman who's eating healthily, feeling good or not. And then you're sitting there and then you are born and you still have some of her, um, some of the, some of, she passes a lot of it to you. It also depends on if you were um, vaginal birth or if you were a C-section, because when you're a vaginal birth, the the stuff that we see um, when the baby is born, all that gook that we see, that actually helps to kickstart the microbiome in the belly. So we'll take a step back. The microbiome in the belly is really the area that has lots of different, um, it's, a, it's a place where all of your immune system and your endocrine system and some other pieces of your of your body it resides there and so if that is if you come out in a c section then you did not get your mom's gut flora and then that affects your immune system so if you are a vaginal birth you get it and for three months, your body starts to build its own, but it's using its mom's first. It's using your mom's first. And so then it also matters if you were breastfed because your mom's milk was made specifically for you and that helps to bolster and create the uh, immune system. So we're talking about this whole um, epidemic where women were just having babies because they wanted to have it on May 8th. And then they would have a C-section and then the baby would come out and they weren't getting the flora. They weren't getting they weren't breastfeeding some of them. 
And so the the immune system is so compromised. Um, And so now you see a lot of allergies and you see a lot of different things that, that babies get because we have forgotten that it's super important that the natural cycle is that the baby comes vaginal. Now, if you are born a C-section and you had to be, that's, you know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about for people who are making a choice. It's something to consider. So the new trend is that if you have to have a C-section, they take a sponge and they wipe out some of the, the flora and then they wipe it on the baby's face when the baby is born so that it can bolster the immune system so that the baby can then have a better chance. So when you're talking about, oh, I'm just going to be a vegan or I'm going to eat X, Y and Z, all those things we are now learning, you have to take into account. And nobody would ever think that. And also, I, I found a, a trend among um Low-income, overweight African-American women who are having children, uh, uh, a very large portion of them are C-sections. Um, they may be for health reasons, but I think if, if, if you fall into that category that you really should do some research and make sure, do I really need to have a C-section? Right. And the other thing, when you, you were talking about what happens is the womb is kind of woo-woo, it's not. It's now <laughs> science is catching up with that right. and understanding that even what uh, how you your mother was in your grandmother's womb affects her DNA and yes. that affects you. So stress in the womb and eating and other factors contributes to who you are health-wise. Absolutely. But there's something called epigenetics, meaning beyond genetics, where you can overcome your um, genetic predisposition for something um, by changing it. For, For example, I'm thin. Everyone on either side of my family is not overweight or has not been. If I were to overeat for a year, mm-hmm. I could be con- uh, conceivably become obese. Mm-hmm. So I have overridden my genetics. Um, the opposite can be true. If mm-hmm. you're, if there's a lot of obesity and overweight in your family, you can change that for yourself by e- eating healthy. Because oftentimes, um, eating patterns are are passed down through through the family so um if if you can make that change to a healthier diet exercise manage stress there's a good chance that you will not follow the obesity or overweight pattern a genetic pattern in your fram in your family so don't think because oh it runs in my family so there's nothing i can do yes there's a lot that you can do there's a lot that you can do and some of the estimates are that it's a 2080 20% 20% is your your biology and the other 80% is on you. So there's like a crisis and an opportunity there. So you have the opportunity to change and to do something better by drinking better water and like and like the doctor said exercising, managing stress. Stress is a huge one. Um, And also just going back to even birth and the microbiome which is your gut flora and everything. They say that all disease begins in the gut. So all disease really begins in the belly. Inflammation and all those things, that's where it begins. So it's very important to keep your immune system as strong um, and as bolstered as you can because when it's not, when it's compromised, it can go from you just having the sniffles. Like for the first time in like five years, I got bronchitis this year. I hadn't had anything because I've been really like, eating that garlic and and doing all the things that they say to bolster your immune system. So some of them are sleep, good water, good exercise, you know, managing the stress and eating fresh fruit and vegetables, eating a lot of warming, you know, in the it's at some point in the season, I was eating a lot of warming foods and things that created fire in my gut and in my belly. I was drinking kombucha and eating um, sauerkrauts and kimchi, just trying to make sure that I had enough power in my belly to be able to digest whatever and keep my immune system up. But then I started traveling back to back to back in dirty hotel rooms, on planes, in trains, and just around other people when I'm usually not as much. And I was down for two whole weeks. And it just reminded me of how important it is to have a healthy immune system because it can go from the cold all the way to 
MS or cancer. Right. And let me just elaborate um, when you're talking about kombucha and kimchi, which are fermented beverages and drinks. And and the fermentation um, causes bacteria in your colon. And that's kind of what helps to fuel your immune system. This is new science that's been coming out just in the last 15 years. People didn't know that before. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting a better understanding. And B vitamins are created in your colon. Vitamin K, which is used for blood, uh, that helps to clot your blood and and bone building. Um, Those nutrients are all developed in your, um, or some are produced in your colon. And you have to have what's called friendly bacteria. And um, a word if you're on antibiotics, physicians are beginning to prescribe probiotics, Mm -hmm. which are um, foods that already contain friendly bacteria that, that you should be taking along with the antibiotics because that kills all bacteria, including mm-hmm. that it's not d- discriminatory. It's so, um, it's important to take that because your body is not g- going to be, um, um, compromised. But the other thing, there's something called prebiotics, which is fiber, like mm-hmm. the skin of apples, like um, uh, the flex and whole grain, uh, the, the bran and the germ. Those also ferment in your colon and and, and create friendly bacteria. So there, there's two ways to get it. Prebiotic through uh, certain foods that are high in fiber. And then there's probiotics, which is in, now we constantly, you, you know, also, we're into yogurt, you know. Oh, and and now the yogurt companies are pushing. Well, we have mm-hmm. like so and so billions, uh-huh. yeah, bacteria. But you have to think that yogurt is coming from a factory that might be three thousand miles away from where you are. It has to be trucked. What it has to be put on a truck. What it, what happens is for a couple of three hours the the refrigeration in the truck goes down. So what is in that yogurt when it, it leaves the factory may not have the same amount of, back, of friendly bacteria when it gets to your shelf and you open it to eat it. So it's all those kinds of things to consider. So um, eating prebiotic food, which is high in fiber, is also a way to get that friendly bacteria in there. And so let's just even go further on what you said the science is coming out just about 15 years but our grandmothers and great grandmamas always knew it so if you think about the mason jars that they had and the foods that they jarred over the specific seasons and then you ate it at another season they knew it they might not have known the science they just knew to do it so i remember when i was younger my grandmother um used to say don't eat shellfish during the letter uh during the months that start with the letter m and so i'm thinking oh grandma give me a break and then she said for her don't eat crabs and ice cream because somebody in our family got super sick when they had crabs and ice cream heard that all my life i was not paying attention because my grandparents were in you know the south and i was raised in the north so i go back up to the big city and i'm like eating ice cream and crabs I was sick, I was down, but it just was me. You know, I was down and then I thought about it and I'm like, wow. So some of it is folklore, some of it's mythology, but some of it really is true. And I think because we have gotten so far away from the basics that um, we are now matching the science because it's not working. Every A lot of people are sick and we have doctors and we have... Um, people who are who really do want to help people heal and what they have been doing in the last few years is not working for their patients so they they're seeing the same patients they're prescribing the same things and it's not working so the conscientious part of them says I'm not doing something right what do I need to do so they are the ones who are tapping in and maybe removing themselves from the more traditional um, from the more traditional health uh, situation that we have here in the West and they're going back to more indigenous 
uh, practices and they're going back to what their grandmothers did. I think part of it is that patients are doing that and coming back to the physicians and they're seeing a change in their patients and it's, wow, what are you doing? Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. It's something that grandma taught them to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Since we've been talking about the immune system, I want to talk a little bit about vitamin D because they're finding now that not only is it um, supporting... um, um, calcium in the um, the absorption of calcium in the body and uh, teeth and bones. Um, vitamin T D is uh, they're beginning to realize is playing an important part in supporting the immune system. And for Af- African Americans, um, it's extremely important that we get enough sunlight because vitamin D is in the skin. And uh, when sunlight hits it, it's activated and then it goes into to the body and it's, it has some chemical reactions that moves it into um, an active form where the body can use. Now, if you're covered up, if you live in a climate um, like in the Northeast where there's not a lot of sun um, and, and you're covered up all the time, or even if you're in the Southwest like Vegas where even though it's hot, you're not going to be walking around the sun. You're going to be jumping in your car to get some air. You're going to go to the building that's air conditioned and you're not going to be outside. And because of the melanin in our skin, which helps us to um, uh, keep from getting uh, skin cancer be- because it helps to filter U- UV rays, that even blocks the, the, the activation of v- vitamin D even more. So with um, Caucasians, they can be out in the sun for 15 minutes a day and get enough um, sunlight for us is three hours mm-hmm. and it's and and that's if you're just outside in the sun but but if you're covered up um, etc or if it depending upon what climate you're in um, it behooves pretty much everyone unless you live in Florida or, or California to really take a vitamin D supplement mm-hmm. and um, at least that they say 800 to a thousand but I feel that it's a lot it's more so I I would say do your research Mm -hmm. check with your physician Mm -hmm. always get your vitamin D levels checked checked. when you get a checkup Mm because that's really important yep Um, so I was vitamin D deficient like most you know African Americans are here and so what I want us to think about is evolutionarily we have not evolved if we're of African descent then we are, our body is functioning right now as if we were somewhere where it's sunny all the time. So we've only been away from that uh, area and into North America and other places for maybe 300, 400 years or less or whatever. And so the body does not evolve that quickly. So that's why for African-Americans or people of African descent, it's so much important, so very important for us to get that vitamin D. So I even stopped wearing sunglasses like maybe about four years ago because I knew, and I also went to Kemet into Egypt to kind of like study. So I learned, and then I just studied lots of different things and lots of different sources to figure out how to maximize nature with my body. And one of the things that I came across that has worked and it's been four years and I haven't had any problems was I stopped wearing sunglasses. And I don't look, I don't uh, stare into the sun, but sometimes, just sometimes, um, I might do a little looking in the sun early when it first rises. I started doing that a few years ago and I don't do it all the time, but I just wanted to increase my vitamin D. And then it's important to, like you say, check with your physician and get those levels checked because I have increased it. And then you do something different in the summer. So everything is a season. In the summertime, you might not need the level um, is it a, is it an IUD? What is it? A C? I forget. It's what the, IU. Yeah. IU, right? So let's just say, for example, if traditional medicine says take a thousand, I take five thousand, mm-hmm. and then in the winter I do twelve thousand IU, and I used to use a tincture, just like some a little. It looks like water. You just spray it in your, uh, place it in your water, and I just drink it with my water. Um, so there are lots of different ways. I, I'm not afraid to sit out in the sun and. Um, we talked about it uh, last week with a guest where maximizing the sun is actually you maximize it on your backside, right behind your right above your knees on your back. 
it has the if you picture a mushroom and the gills that a mushroom has Mm -hmm. the sun that's what it is on the back of your legs and the sun can really get you right there because a lot of times when we're if we're at the beach or if we're at the pool we're sitting on our on our we're sitting straight up which which is not really good for for the skin which, which i'll talk about in just a minute but um yeah i use a brand called carlson c-a-r-l-s-o-n and their drops so you they, they come in 1000 iu 2000 4000 i think even up to 8000 iu so if you're taking a lot you only have to do a few drops um, the other thing um, in, in terms of African-Americans and what we have to think about in terms of food is um, milk and dairy products mm. because we are <clears throat> traditionally lactose intolerant, mm-hmm. meaning that there is a sugar um, called lactose. It's, called mi- it's milk sugar, and th- there's an enzyme lactase that breaks it down. Traditionally, African-Americans, Asians, and people from other parts of the country don't have enough of that enzyme to break down that milk sugar. And because of that, you, you, you break it down in your small intestines, but what, what happens when, when it's not, the molecule is so huge that it moves through and causes gas, it could cause diarrhea, it could cause bloating, it could cause constipation, depending on a person. So if you drink milk or eat cheese or have some ice cream, and then afterwards you feel kind of, mm, I kind of bloated, or oh, I'm gassy, or whatever, you think, oh, well, that's just normal. No, it's not normal. It's that your body is not able to process it and you probably shouldn't be uh, drinking it I tell my students that cow's milk is for calves <laughs> right. you don't feed breast milk to kittens right you, you know it's just it's um, you know and European no, northern U- Europeans oh I think about 3,000 years ago or something I can't remember the date started drinking milk as a food source mm-hmm. and I'm sure cow's milk I'm sure in the beginning they had all sorts of problems but over time a- a- evolution the body adapts. adapts well it has not adapted for us no and again there's so many other alternatives like um, almond milk rice milk um, for some who can take soy milk so there's all sorts of a hemp milk um, if you want something on your cereal mm-hmm. because after you're br- breastfed you really don't need milk. Right. I mean, it's just uh, it's just a, a custom in terms of eating, but it's not something that the body. Um, the v- vitamin D you get from the skin um, and other v- v- vitamins that are found in the calcium you you can get from even plant-based sources like mm-hmm. broccoli. Mm-hmm. So um, just understanding. See, the problem is we don't get nutrition in in, in our, our in school. schools. Right. So if we if we had that along with math. Um, and English, and e- even incorporate you. You can incorporate nutrition in a science curriculum. That way, children can understand what they're eating. Because knowledge is power, and it's so important for us to understand. For example, um, a person who's that diabetic. They, so many of us are um, have been uh, diagnosed with diabetes or prediabetes, and we're like, okay, I got too much sugar in my blood and I can't eat this and I'm but they don't under they're not told the mechanism around that right and un- understanding why you can't load up on a big plate of pasta mm-hmm. because your body can't process that much be- because carbohydrates um, which, which is like sugar um, um, grains um, pasta which is boiled bread um, all break down into sugar, Mm -hmm. a form called glucose in the body. And Mm -hmm. that's what our cells need. Our brains need it, our spinal cord need it, other cells need it in order to function. Right. So, and insulin is something that brings that glucose into the cells. So if if that process isn't working well, you end up having more glucose in your bloodstream. And that uh, causes your blood to be syrupy. It ends up causing nerve damage uh, to the eyes. can lead to blindness also nerve that damages the leg and feet sometimes mm-hmm. you can injure yourself if you're diabetic and don't know it because you're not feeling pain mm-hmm. and it ends up 
um, evolving into an unhappy situation like amputation. Right. So it's really important to kind of just understand that process and understand if you're diabetic, you cannot load up on things. You you, you can't have a a, a pasta meal with wine, bread, and some dessert after it. Your body cannot process that much breakdown of sugar in the body right um and and also um i just want to move into stress and talk about in, in relation to diabetes because if you are stressed um your your body releases what's a hormone called cortisol mm-hmm. which um releases um all kinds of things so, so you could be laying in the bed having a stressful thought but your body is reacting as if a, a bear is chasing you. So all the things that your body, it prepares your body to do to fight this bear, you're, it's happening while you're laying in the bed having a stressful thought. Mm-hmm. So glucose is released into your bloodstream so that you'll have quick access to energy. Um, and oh, But over time, this causes your body to become, if, you, if you're stressed a lot, it causes your body to become insulin resistant your cells not able to process insulin so that glucose is just rolling around in 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 your bloodstream Mm -hmm. and that's what can um is the the diabetes really elevated glucose blood level so you really have to think about okay i may be and also it adds fat around uh, around your middle so you you could be a thin person um, who eats r- relatively healthy, but then if you are eating, um, if you're stressing, you could end up with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, what, scratching your head, wondering what what happened. So understanding stress um, is 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 such an important issue to address. Just like what we're eating, I mean, it's super super important. Um, also, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some stress management techniques toward the end. Okay, I wanted to say something about the the type one, two, and three. I was just okay. getting ready All to right. hit that. All right. So there's three types of diabetes. Type one is is you're you're born with your body not ha- producing enough insulin to process glucose. So you pretty much off the break you end up having to have insulin constantly the rest of your life n- now e- either through injections every day but now they have a little patch or a little, a little portal that they put in and there's a little machine that automatically will um, do- dose you up with in- um, insulin then there's type 2 um, which they used to be called adult onset, but it's usually as an adult, it usually has to do with being overweight or and also now uh, overstressed. Mm-hmm. Um, lifestyle. Lifestyle. What they call it, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right. And with the um, type 2 di- diabetes um, that, that that's caused by overweight, what, what happens, the fat cells... A fat get gets around your cells, and 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 insulin um, is not able to bring the glucose into to, to the cells where it needs it's needed, and it causes inflammation and causes your cells to be what's called insulin resistant. It mm-hmm. will not allow the ins- and in order for any glucose to go into the cells to do it work do its work, it has to have uh, be accompanied by in- insulin. And so then the type 3 diabetes is um, really what's called Alzheimer's disease Mm -hmm. because research has shown that um, Alzheimer's is a metabolic disease, which means how the body uses energy. So how it metabolizes, how it breaks down your food into energy. Um, so um, with Alzheimer's, the brain lo- loses its capacity to efficiently utilize glucose for in- energy production, and the brain needs glucose in order to function. So um, it's not uptaking glu- glucose and using it correctly. The brain starves, and then you start having all kinds of uh, me- mental issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's relatively new as well. Mm-hmm. So again, if, if 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 we manage diabetes, if we and and you can the the research shows a parallel curve between diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. It's tracking together. So. 
again, knowledge is power. So understanding these issues can help you make an informed decision or at least understand that you need to make a new decision. Now, whether you have the willpower and the mindset, that's totally another issue. Right. And that's where stress comes in because you you could be on a good track and some stressful event happens and throws you off mm-hmm. and then you dive back into e- eating those comfort foods that yep. aren't supporting health and you're back and then you get depressed because you're back where your, your health is declining so it causes you to eat more because you're depressed and the cycle just continues it continues and and also we as a, a community have normalized it because many people have had diabetes. So in my family, almost everybody had it, especially if they were older. It was something that I, I actually grew up with my grandmother who had diabetes. And I watched her every morning get a shot. She was afraid to do it herself, so my grandfather did it. And by the time I was seven, I was being trained to do her injections when he was um, at work. So I saw it, and then I saw her actually protect me from falling off of a step, and she fell off of a step and just bruised her her um, her ankle just a little bit. And over time, it went from her having like this this sore that needed to be dressed, and they kept dressing it and putting salves on it and putting a bandaid on it till she got gangrene. And then by the time I was in middle school, the leg had to be amputated. So, but to me, it didn't seem normal, but it almost seemed normal because she just had diabetes. And in my brain, I was like, oh, diabetes is just what she has and it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but over the course of time, I started to realize that we have normalized these things. And, but because we know now that epigenetics is a thing and that you can um, change and shift those things and just like you said, you got to want to. You can do it or not. But with the information and even us planting a seed saying, no, diabetes or sugar does not have to run in your family. You can be the one who changes it. Right. You can be the one who makes the shift and you can feed your children differently and then they'll feed their children differently. And then we'll have a ripple effect. And then maybe because diabetes is really a pandemic around the entire world. And so um, it doesn't have to be that way, especially if it's type two, because that's lifestyle management. And so the dementia, the type three, uh, dementia Alzheimer's, that's an epidemic. And it's really, really big here in the US and the West. It's not as prevalent, but it's getting there because people have adapted our lifestyles. So they call it the rich man's disease. we are supposed to be the most, um, we're not a third world country. We're supposed to have the most technology. We're supposed to be the most evolved, but we are the ones who are getting these diseases because we have so much excess. We have so much food. Food wasn't as abundant as it was. Uh, food has never been as abundant as it is right now. Mm. So there are stores everywhere. There's snacks everywhere. And part of what I love about doing marketing um, supermarket tours is that you can teach people, which is really where the work is. It's like, you have to go to the store. You have to know how to read the labels. You have to know if you're picking out fruit, which is the best fruit to get? Because even the marketers know people innately want to be healthy. Human beings, their body is set up to survive. We want to survive. And so it'll fight to survive and we can help it with our minds and with our choices to survive. And um, But marketers have caught up with it too. So they have put green stuff on boxes. They have put the word healthy. They have put the word nutritious, natural. All those words make us think that we're picking the correct things. And some of those things are contributing to diabetes and other autoimmune things. So just keep that in mind that you you can change it. You can change it. For for example, you know, these flute these fruit drinks like Tropicana and others, you'll see all these fruits on the on the label, but then in little teeny letters it'll say ten percent juice. Yep. And the rest of it is flavoring and sugar. sugar. <laughs> for, for example, a twelve ounce can uh, or container of, of fruit fruit 
flavored drinks has 32 grams of sugar. Now keep this, the, this formula together. In one teaspoon, there's four grams of sugar. So if you divide four into 32, that's eight teaspoons of sugar. Now you wouldn't take a glass of water and add 18 teaspoons, uh, I'm sorry, eight te teaspoons of sugar and mm -mm, drink it. Mm -mm. But that's what you're drinking in these drinks. And Gatorade has 30 grams of sugar. Um, Starbucks green tea frappuccino has 12, has 49 grams, which is 12 teaspoons of sugar. My goodness. And those Arizona teas are also really high, 33 grams. So I hear people say, well, you know, I don't drink sodas anymore. Mm -hmm. I drink um, uh, green tea. Yeah, right. 33 grams of sugar, eight right. teaspoons. Right. I mean, but that's why reading the labels is so important. Right. And, and trying to... Um, Sugar-sweetened beverages are the biggest contributor to childhood obesity. Right. So if we can pull those out, um, I remember when I was growing up, Kool-Aid was a thing. But mm -hmm. can, can you imagine how much sugar, sugar. you have to put? Like I have it's a just bag. flavoring water and right. sugar. Right. Uh, so it's the same kinds of things uh, that they've done it for you, and it costs more. So the the best thing start with water. You you can make flavored water. Take some water, put some fruit in it. You, you can either do lemons or orange slices, put, put in the refrigerator for a few hours, and it'll have a flavor if you don't like water. Mm -hmm. You can use carbonated water and add some fruit to that mm -hmm. and have some flavor to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there, there's other ways to get that flavor without having to drown it out with sugar because, you know. Our, mm -hmm. Well, the thing is that we're addicted to sugar. So... Sugar is like the number one killer, pretty much. One of the, there's like the top, there's a few top, but sugar is it. Now in the 1300s in India, sugar was kept under lock and key because it was so addictive. And it actually was what started the slave trade was to get money for sugar. So they took, you know, they started the slave trade and where were sugarcane, you know, factories or not factories, where was sugarcane in the Caribbean? in Brazil and places like that. So that's where it started, but it was kept under lock and key. And once those people who were trying to make money realized that they could make money because it was addictive and they could get the people addicted to it, it was all it was all good from there. And so we're we're in the same thing. We're in the same where our we're used to sugar, we want that sweet taste, and it's not even our fault. When if you're breastfed, there is a little bit of sugar in the mom's breast milk, and that right there sets you up for the good feeling, the dopamine that you get from sugar. It's like a high that you get, a little bit of a high that you get from eating any kinds of sugar, even if it's from fruit, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that right there in the beginning, when we're babies, it tells our body that it's safe. So then we keep wanting it. And so then it's set up perfectly for us to get it in any form that we want it. And um, like the doctor said, it comes in grains, it comes in candy, it comes in all these drinks and beverages. And so now we're addicted. And so it's not as easy as you would think for us to say, well, just stop drinking soda. And also um, you, you talked about grains. Um, whole grains are grain. See, the, the, the pasta and the flour that we get traditionally here is white flour, mm -hmm. which means they've stripped all the brown out of it, mm -hmm. which is the wheat germ. It's the germ of it and the bran that has a lot of B vitamins and good nu nutrients for our body, plus high in fiber. So when, um, when, when that's stripped out of it, and we're, we're, we're eating these white flour products, they break down into paste in the body because um, uh, years ago they, they used to mix um, flour and white flour and water and make paste out of it mm -hmm. and, you know, to paste things with the, for children to play with. Mm -hmm. So um, that same thing happens in your colon. Mm -hmm. So if you're not e eating, if, if you're eating that so it br breaks down pasty, if you have whole grains, which means it's just that they took uh, the kernel of wheat and they ground it up without stripping all this good stuff out of it. You have all of that. So when when you're consuming whole grains, they that fiber in it goes. It's not digested. It goes into your colon and acts like a broom and, and sort of scrapes it and also absorbs 
water. It's like a sponge, like you have a dry sponge in your kitchen and you turn the water on it, it, it puffs up. Same thing with the fiber. It helps to bulk up, it bulks up the fiber in your um, in, uh, colon and it pulls um, the fecal matter or um, from the sides of your colon. And it also stimulates the peristaltic muscle, that muscle that makes you feel like you have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So the body, the, the creator made us in a way so that if we're eating what we're supposed to be eating, mm-hmm. the body will function as it should. So yes. if we're eating these whole grains, drinking adequate amounts of water, then our bowels should be moving correctly and we shouldn't uh, have hemorrhoids, we shouldn't have these cannonballs coming out, you know. <laughs> I talk about bowel health and people go, what? Yeah. But, you, you know, there's only a few things that we, we're we not transparent, so we don't know what's going on right. with, with our body. So if we look at what comes out of our body, it's somewhat of an indication of what's going on. So if your urine is really yellow, it should be fairly clear. That means you're not drinking enough water. Mm-hmm. If your bowels are not floaty, um, um, then and they're hard and and you're grunting and you have hemorrhoids. It shouldn't be like that. Right. So you know that you're not drinking enough water or consuming enough fiber. If your stools are black, that means there's blood somewhere and you immediately need to go to the doctor. So I mean, again, you know, look before you flush so you know what what's coming out of your body. That's really important. Right. And you know what? Digestion begins at the chewing phase. And we don't chew. We fork and shovel stuff into our mouths. And, and then so slosh it, it down with some cold drink. Cold. Which stops the digestive Stops digestion. You, you know, if, 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 if you've got swelling in your body, you put some ice on it. It keeps the, the blood from coming there. Well, the same thing with your stomach has all these great, when, when you're eating, it has all these great enzymes and, and, and whatnots to help digest the food. Mm-hmm. But then if you shut, shut it down with cold water, it stops for it, or cold liquid, it stops for, for a few seconds until it warms back up. But if you're constantly doing that, and we have teeth not to hold up our face, only but to (laughs) it's flat so that we can chew our food because in order for the digestive enzymes in our stomach to hit all the areas of our food so it's digested uh, correctly, we need to break it down. You can't have big chunks of food in your stomach and, and, and expect it to digest correctly. You really right. need to break it up, chew it up. Right. You know. So I want to talk about Gluten? Did you talk about gluten? Like, there's a big whole thing about gluten. So I wanted to hit on that. And then I wanted to move to stress management because we have a few more minutes left. We have 15 minutes left. Okay. So I know that people see it in the store. They don't know what it means. Tell us what that means. Gluten is the, is the starchy stuff that's in bread like if you you see them make, making pizza dough and it stretches the pizza it's that it's that substance and it's in in what's called the endosperm part of the it's the end, part of the grain that causes it it to be elastic and our um and stretch and and that particular portion of the wheat um eating a um People have begun to uh, develop allergies to it because we consume so much of it. I mean, if you think about the the amount of wheat um, and the gluten that's in the wheat that's in crackers, cookies, bread, pasta, you, you know, all, and I said crackers, all these things that we eat, not just one, we're constantly eating something mm-hmm. with wheat in it. Mm-hmm. And they, they even add wheat into other things that we're not even aware of. Right. And then desserts and sweets. So we're, we're, we're getting an overabundance of that. And then people love bread. I mean, just bread, 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 mm-hmm. bread. So now we're beginning to realize that the people that are having certain um gastrointestinal mm-hmm. issues and reactions they're like well what's this oh i got gas or something no it's yes. the gluten and and now that it's being diagnosed and re- recognized that's why we're seeing more gluten-free products right so it's important like if you're addicted to bread you got you know kind of wean yourself it's not like never ever ever have bread but at least have whole grain bread right uh, not multi-grain because that's not guaranteeing that it just has a lot of different grains but that's not to say that 
all the all the all the uh, good stuff is in it. Right. So you want whole grain. Um, now I eat sprouted bread because the um, the sprouting of the of the wheat kernels helps to um, make the protein more accessible and digestible in it. Um, but if if I have a sandwich and I don't eat a lot of bread, but if I feel like I want to have some almond butter on some bread, it's going to be sprouted bread. It's going to be one slice. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm out at a re- restaurant and I order a sandwich, I will take the top of it off. Mm-hmm. You you know, and I you know like open face because mm-hmm. we don't need to have all of this bread. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just and I loved it. Like I grew up. I think for 45 years, I probably ate oatmeal for breakfast. Because I just loved it. And I always had a stomachache. I ate pizza. I ate pancakes. I ate waffles. Like those breads. And then my grandmother made me a yeast roll that was like prize winning. And so I had digestive issues. And I was having numbness in my fingers and in my eye and in my toes. So I was tested for MS. I was tested for Lyme disease. And I was tested for something called Bell's palsy. Because they could never figure out why I kept having this numbness. Turns out the grains. I'd remove the grains from my diet and I don't even think about it. I haven't had any of those symptoms at all. So it was just something to think about um, when, you know, it's not normal. It's not normal to have a stomachache every day. I had a stomachache every day. I always knew. I just said to myself, I'm going to have a stomachache. And that's what it was. And, and it was for decades, but it was because I was eating those things. So now that we have like stressed everybody out because they think they can't eat anything, let's talk about ways to manage stress and ways and make some a few tips to give people to take away so that you can do the research on your own moving forward and see what works for you. But just know that your body will tell you what it likes and what it doesn't. So if you're getting a stomach ache every day after you eat, think about what it is you're eating and why you're getting the stomach ache. Like it's time for us to awaken and go back to being in our bodies and really trusting that our bodies and our minds and our hearts are leading us in the right direction. Right, and and if if, if you're e- eating something and every time you eat it you have not so good a reaction, stop eating it for a while and see what happens, yeah. and then eat it again. And yeah. if you have that same reaction, you know that it's something about that food that is not working with you. Mm-hmm. But just g- generally about w- what to eat, and then I'll jump into stress management. Okay, we 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 need protein, but we don't have to have protein for meat and fish and 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 fowl uh we we can have protein from plant-based protein like Mm -hmm. beans and rice quinoa q-u-i-n-o-a is a grain um that has all the protein all the amino acids or it makes up a complete protein so you could do that in some veggies and be perfectly okay Mm -hmm. um we need to make vegetables the focus of the meal instead of the meat and then build everything else around that um, also um, almond almonds are an alkaline um, nut and raw almond butter not roasted but raw almonds and raw almond butter is 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 a good source of protein as well um, tofu is um, is something that if you're transitioning off of meat, uh, protein uh, tofu might might be a good source of that. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to, to be a, a vegetarian, although they seem to have better health outcomes. Um, um, but if, if you don't have an issue around soy, tofu might be something that you want to try. I would stay away from these imitation meats like imitation chicken and imitation mm-hmm. beef because they have so many other chemicals processed. and and process so much um that uh, it, it's really not supportive of of health you might get the protein but there might be other issues accompanying that and fruit if you if i had to eat one fruit it would be blueberry mm-hmm. because blueberry is an antioxidant which helps to um um, get ri- rid of what's called free radicals in the body, su- substances that end up causing cancer. So mm-hmm. um, blueberries are great. You know, they used to say apple a day c- keeps the doctor away because of the fiber if you eat it. Well, same thing with blueberry. You, you have fiber, but you also have other antioxidants in it that, that's great. Um, 
dark le- leafy greens are great uh, like spinach and kale and whatever and they're high in, and they have a good amount of iron but you have to take some vitamin C with it in order for that iron to be absorbed so um, I would say um, either drink some lemon water or take a vitamin C pill when, when you're eating these foods that will help your body to absorb the iron from them um, healthy fats avocados flaxseed um, grind, grind up flax seeds and sprinkle it or get, get the flaxseed oil but, but it's cheaper to buy the flax seeds and when you're re- ready to eat them uh, grind them up um, and fi- fish oils when, when you're eating fish consider the source because uh, the, our waters are so messed up mm-hmm. tilapia is not a good fish it's not a, not well, a real fish yeah it's not even a fish <laughs> frankenfish right so just do your re- research around fish and in terms of stress management exercise is is something that really helps if you have a good exercise whether it's dancing or running or aerobics or whatever afterwards you you feel better you're more relaxed because you um help to release the, all that in- energy that's pent up Me- meditation is good five minutes several times a day works just being still close your eyes try to clear your mind and ju- just focus on one word or one positive thought um and when you have a stressful thought, don't dwell on it. Just say, you know what, I need to shift my thinking immediately. So shift your mind to something that makes you happy yes. or a positive thought. Every time you start to think of something that stresses you, it comes up, immediately shift your thinking. And over time, it will become a practice mm-hmm. for you and you will definitely feel better. Mm-hmm. Eliminate negative people from your life. I'll leave it at that. No matter how painful it might be, family members, it might be best friends. But if they're negative and causing to bring you down, then your being down is not going to help them be better. Right. Also, breathing is important. We we need to breathe from our stomach, our belly instead of our chest. So when when you're taking a deep breath, you're you're breathing in and expanding your stomach like like a balloon. And when you're exhaling, you're squeezing your stomach and you're pushing the air out from the stomach which is a better way it's a more complete and and the air gets all the way up into your lungs okay we got three minutes okay yes oh and one more quick thought okay family we all need to create a family health history we mm-hmm. need to know what did great grandma die from and and create one. Um, you, you can go online that they have templates for them or create your own when you're at a family reunion or at a family gathering. You know, just ask, when did so and so die? And what did they die of? That's all that you need to know. And once you put this tree together, you might be able to see trends and patterns in your family that may be really helpful for you and your children and your grandchildren. That's beautiful. And it's true. Like, we want to go back to, you know, figuring out because we are them. And a lot of times what they experienced, it, it doesn't go away. We kind of like pass it down. So we actually are influenced by seven generations back and we can affect seven generations moving forward. So why not choose to be the one who changes the diabetes and changes whatever and brings health and wellness and new ideas and new thoughts that are that will help, you know, help the family grow in a healthy way. Why not be that person? So we're we're wrapping up. I wanted to add some um, final thoughts. Um, getting a good amount of sleep at night is super important. Sleep. Your body can't heal if you don't sleep. If you, between ten and two, ten p.m. and two a.m., your body heals and repairs. When you're a, an adult, it heals and repairs. When you're a child, it heals, repairs, and grows. So if your body is not healing and repairing, then you're starting the next day. Um, you know, at a deficit and then it just goes from there. And then the, you know, the immune system gets depleted and then here you come with some diseases. So sleep is super important. Just like she said, exercise, love. A lot of times you might be craving some foods or craving certain things and you, you're feeling stressed out or whatever. Sometimes a good hug will change it. Human beings are meant to be together and to touch each other. Get a hug, get a hug from your significant other or your baby or your friend. Sometimes it just, takes that human contact and that can make the shift um also 
going back to the supermarket because that's where it starts in the supermarket, read the labels. And then a very revolutionary thought is don't eat foods that have labels. Then that'll make you have be, you know, choosing fresh fruit and vegetables. And so think of it less of taking away and more of it adding more things in, add more fresh fruit and vegetables. But Dr. Thompson, I want to thank you so much for coming and for joining us here on the the Sanctuary podcast and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Um, You have any last thought? Um, Just that um, we need to go back to the thought as food as medicine. Yes. And if we know what we eat will influence our health, we'll choose maybe to make our own food as opposed to going to McDonald's or Burger King. I mean, we really have need to start with self. So just, I guess, keeping that thought in your head, food as medicine. Well, food is medicine, and just please remember that. And then please just visit us and follow the movement at Awaken and Heal on Instagram and goddess-awaken.com on the web. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Sanctuary. Please follow us at Awaken and Heal on Instagram and on the web at goddess-awaken.com to follow the revolution.